How do working mums manage it all between raising kids, paid work, drop-offs and pick-ups, the incessant domestic load, friends and family and, well, let's just forget about me time. I can tell you it is a challenge. I'm Jacinta Tynan, news presenter, journalist, author and mum of two young boys. Welcome to The Mother Shift, a babyology podcast where we explore the ins and outs of different work-life situations with different mums. For shift workers, there are definitely pros and cons to being outside the nine-to-five norm, being able to pick up and drop the kids off to daycare and work after they're asleep are just some of the pluses. But what happens when you and your partner are like ships passing in the night? Sarah Hunstead and her husband were both working in the same hospital as nursing unit managers when they had their first child, and Sarah joined us now on The Mother Shift. Sarah, welcome. Thank you for having me. So tell us what work was like before you had kids, if you can think back to then. Oh, well, it is quite a long time ago now, but I'll try and cast my mind back. Work was work was great. I'd always been a nurse, so shift work was basically what I had done for my entire career. It worked well, apart from the fact that while a lot of our friends were out partying on the weekends that we may miss out doing the occasional Saturday night duty, it was really flexible and being able to finish work at half past three and go straight to the beach afterwards or being able to sleep in until 11 o'clock in the morning before kids was always a good thing. So when you got pregnant, you were obviously still doing this shift work. And how did you manage to negotiate your terms for when you were to return after having a baby? Being in the public health system, I was quite lucky that that all of that is already set in stone for you. So for me, it was very much, it it wasn't about whether or not I was even going to get maternity leave or how long I was going to take. It was almost a given. Being a predominantly female workforce, it really is geared towards that and seeing so many of my colleagues who had before me gone off onto maternity leave and been able to maximise their leave as well by being able to tack on certainly uh, annual leave or other types of leave as well. So going into it being pregnant, I knew that I would have a lot of time to be able to spend with my baby. And luckily enough, I had a fantastic nursing unit manager who would sit down with you and say, okay, then let's look at your leave. This is what you're entitled to. How long are you planning to have off? And what are you thinking that you may like to come back to? And so all of that was just seemed like such an easy process, even to the point where my boss said, okay, so we've got to be a bit flexible about you know, when you're going to have the baby, because obviously my husband working in the department too. So everybody kind of knew that Paul might have to rush off at a moment's notice and they were even prepared for that. So it was a really well-supported environment. It sounds too good to be true. Were you able to sit down and say, how many days I think I'll work when I come back? It sounded like you could just totally plan ahead. Well, you could, which is a fantastic thing. So after when you leave, you had the opportunity to take more leave without pay as well, which I chose not to do. We've got a massive Sydney mortgage, so that wasn't going to be an option for us. So being able to sit down together and go, you know what, I think I'm pretty sure when I get back, I'd like to be able to work, you know, uh, 0.3 full-time equivalent or, you know, three days, something like that over a period. And that really helped to be able to think, I don't have to come back to full-time work. Did you think it was going to be pretty seamless? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it was, you know, I was going to have a baby who slept. I was going to, you know, to be a, a dream pregnancy and then a dream baby. And, you know, I've worked with children. I know it wasn't going to be 
completely smooth sailing, but I thought the work part was going to be easy. We both work shift work. We could work opposite shifts. Easy. Looked good on paper, did it? Oh, looked fabulous on paper. <laughs> and how did it go in reality? <laughs> I'm getting um, the sense this isn't going to be the same picture. <laughs> so reality, I think, probably is like dropping a brick on your head. Well, that's how it felt to me anyway. The fact that I I had quite an unsettled baby for the first one. She was um, not the easiest of kids, which, you know, bless her, she's an amazing child, but let's, you know, it's not exactly a cup of tea when they're really little. And the fact that I what looked good on paper with us working out our shifts, one thing I didn't actually consider was what emotional toll would that actually take on us and how would that affect our family unit, not just being able to get an income in. How did you manage to actually see each other or did you? We didn't. So... It certainly didn't work out as I had meticulously planned it. When we'd be rostered on, because we did the same job as nurse unit manager, we could never be on the same shift, which is probably a good thing because, you know, who was going to look after the kids or pick up and drop off. But one of the big challenges was thinking about, okay, if you're working a morning shift and I'm working an afternoon shift, that works well because that means I can do the daycare drop-off and you can do the daycare pick-up. But do that three days in a row or do that on a day that you don't have daycare because our kids were not in at that age, you know, or especially when my little one started when she was 10 months old. She wasn't in daycare five days a week. She was only in care two days a week. And when you're trying in a department who's trying to roster 70 people, you can't always get what you ask for, which is fair enough. So in the roster, it would crop up a day that we didn't have care. What were we going to do with the kids? There were times when we actually had to bring them into the emergency department and sit them in the doctor's office because we had no one for that one hour that we needed to hand over to each other to look after the children. And that's not ideal. You don't want to bring a healthy child into a germ-ridden emergency department. Nobody wants to do that. And it's not fair on everybody else who's trying to work as well. So that was one of the big challenges that we faced. And that's just, you know, the physical handing over of the kids. Certainly breastfeeding was another one. We were quite lucky that we're a breastfeeding friendly hospitals. So there were actually rooms and pumps available for you to go and express that you shared with the patients. So that was absolutely fantastic that you even had a dedicated freezer you could put the breast milk in. However, when you're in an emergency department and a trauma comes in, you can't just go, oh, sorry, time to go pump. Let's go. (laughs) When there's a child in front of you who is potentially dying. And so that was certainly a toll on the breasts, which is, you know, one of the other physical things. But one of the real emotional things was that Paul and I just never saw each other. It really did take a huge toll on our relationship. We never got any time alone together, which a lot of couples don't, even if you're not doing shift work. But certainly the big thing of, you know, we could go three or four days of just seeing each other for either 15 minutes at work or one of us is asleep at home and that's it. What sort of toll did that take on your marriage? Our communication broke down. So we've always been uh, a couple that really values our time together. We're quite independent as well, whereas we go and have time away from each other because, you know, that's 
healthy and normal too, but we actually enjoy each other's company. And we just noticed that every time we were together, we were arguing about something. We were kind of, you know, it was, we were tired. We, um, I'm the type of person who likes to talk about work. He's the type of person who doesn't talk about work out of home. So that was, you know, I'd want to catch up on what was going on at work and he just wouldn't want to talk about it. And we ended up just getting so exhausted that we kind of just shut down. And that wasn't good for our relationship. When we stopped communicating, that's when everything really started to fail. What did you do about that? Because obviously here you are still together and and doing really well. So did you actively decide you needed to redress the imbalances in your marriage? Oh, something had to give. Um, I did something that was probably a little bit silly as well. After we had our second child while I was on maternity leave, I decided to start my own business as well. So that put another layer of stress over the top because I'm now occupied with that and not talking. I think that was when we really realized to each other that the communication was gone. So we actually started talking, um, firstly saying, I don't want to do this like this anymore. I miss you. I actually really... it used, you know, I want it to be like how it used to be, but with a child. So when I'm saying that, nothing's ever like it used to be. But to have that connection again, that was one of the really big things. And we talked about, okay, what's going to give here? What actually needs to give for us to be able to do this? And we both thought, you know what? Shift work is not working for us. He had just started another job which enabled for two days a week working normal business hours. And we noticed that when we were both doing normal hours, that we had that consistency of being together and we weren't ships in the night anymore. And we thought, well, maybe we need to make that change of starting to steer towards that, or at least one of us steering towards that, because shift work for both of us is not working for us. So many couples talk about, or they don't talk about it actually, do they often, but find that their relationships struggle when a baby is thrown into the mix. What advice would you give to those people? Talk about it, just straight up. So that was, I I look back and I think that was one of the biggest things where I'd get home from a shift at 10 o'clock at night and I'd be cranky because, you know, the kids would be fed, they would be bathed, they would be asleep in bed, but... You know, the dishes weren't done and there was stuff everywhere or something that I asked to be done wasn't done or something like that. Or I felt like it was, you know, that I was expected to do things more, you know, that the balance wasn't there. Whereas he was thinking the exact same thing. He thought, you know, he's still doing the shift work. He's really making an effort. The kids are really well cared for. He's done five loads of washing, but I haven't said anything. And so it's that It's that simple stuff that I look back and go, it's so petty, you know, like little things that I had no right or he didn't have a right to get cranky about, but we just lost sight of that. It was those little niggling things that would just, would eat away at you that turned into big mountains. And you both had different perceptions of what was expected of you and how much you were actually giving. Exactly. When I look back now and I think both of us were working our butts off. We really, really were. And perhaps our expectations, both of each other, were not realistic.
You're listening to the podcast, The Mother Shift, with me, Jacinta Tynan, and I'm talking to senior paediatric nurse, founder of CPR Kids and mother of two, Sarah Hunstead. Stick around because later we'll be having a chat with our resident careers counsellor and psychologist, Kirsty Levin, who'll be taking a look at each mum's experiences and challenges to help other mums returning to the workforce. Despite all these challenges, and it does sound like a few, you're not giving a good rap to shift work at the moment. Are are there pluses to it? Absolutely. When you're parents? Yes, there are. Without a doubt, there are definitely pluses. Uh, as I said before, being able to have somebody who can easily do the daycare drop-off and the pick-up is fantastic because not all work is nine to five and some daycares, there's not enough out there that actually can accommodate for people who purely do shift work. So having the two of us do that, that was fantastic to be able to manage that. And, you know, I've got friends who choose that after they have a baby to simply do two or three night duties a week. Their children never even know that they're gone. Like they, you know, mummy disappears after they've gone to bed at night and is there when they wake up in the morning. She hasn't slept much. No, she's she's been working all night looking after other people's children or, you know, other adults. But that's certainly something that is really appealing for some people. And not all shift work is the same. Some of it can start at 11 o'clock at night and finish at 4am in the morning. And that can work really well for your family. For us, it was the fact that both of us were doing it that was the problem. Daycare centres aren't exactly open all day, every day, though, are they? No, they're not. And certainly so many daycare centres don't open until 8 o'clock. And if you're starting your shift at 6 or 7 a.m., that's a really big problem. We were quite lucky in the sense that on the hospital campus where we worked at, that there was a daycare centre that opened at 6.30 in the morning to cater for shift workers and also would do extended hours until after 10pm at night. However, I was literally after the day after I found out I was pregnant, ran down there and knew from friends that you had to put your name down early and I still couldn't get my daughter in for two years after she was born. The demand was that high. There are just not the spots out there for shift workers. Eventually, both you and your husband moved away from shift work. And as you mentioned, you decided to start your own business in the thick of it all with with two young children, CPR kids. What inspired that? So at the hospital... And certainly in my career, I've seen too many parents where in an emergency situation, they haven't known what to do. And I don't want any parent to ever feel like that again. I want parents to feel confident to know how to act and help their child if they're sick or injured. It's such an important thing. And there was one particular little boy who essentially drowned in his backyard and his mum found him, pulled him out and immediately started CPR. And she screamed to the neighbours until they called an ambulance. Ambulance came. They kept on with the CPR and everything else that they do. And he came to us at the hospital. And his heart was stopped for more than an hour. And then we got a rhythm back. His heart started beating properly again. And he was in intensive care for a very, very long time. And he made a full recovery. He's a completely normal big boy today. Certainly this is about 10 years ago now. And what saved his life was the fact that his mum knew what to do. 
she kept that oxygen going to his brain. And that's what gives a person a good outcome if that is possible. And I want every parent to be able to say, I did my best. And that's why I started CPR Kids. What do parents learn when they go through your course? So we do basic first aid, so CPR, and also the common things that happen to kids, like what to do for burns, for head injuries, all of those sorts of common childhood incidences. But we take that a step further. We also go through prevention, recognition and response, not only of injuries that can happen to kids, but also of common illnesses too. So things like gastro and fever and breathing problems, all those things that you just wish you knew how to manage when it's three o'clock in the morning and no doctors are open. It sounds pretty important that all parents get this type of knowledge. How do we go about doing that? So you need to enrol in a course. No matter how old your child is, you need to do a first aid course, whether it's with CPR kids, whether it's another provider, just make sure that it's paediatric specific, that it's taught by people who know what they're doing. So certainly at CPR kids, we're all paediatric nurses. We've done everything that we teach and make sure that it's really child relevant. And you know what? Just don't put it off any longer. Just go and do it. We've got a Facebook page called CPR Kids and we do Facebook live sessions. So you can come and join us online uh, for free and listen to a whole lot of different child health topics. We've also got CPR Kids TV, which is our YouTube channel, and everything that we teach is on there as well. And if you're expecting a baby, we are also doing lots and lots of classes in maternity hospitals in Queensland, Victoria and New South Wales as well. Back to you. This is allowing you, your business, CPR Kids, allowing you, you've got away from shift work, you're now your own boss. Obviously, the business is really growing, though. So is it a good thing, being your own boss, or have you created more work for yourself? Oh, it depends on what day you ask me, to be honest. (laughs) Today, I would say that I would never, ever swap this, that it is absolutely fantastic, really following my passion and having a whole team of people who want to empower every parent with these skills and being able to act on that thing inside you that drives you, there's there's no greater pleasure. It's an absolute privilege to be able to do that. There are other days where I think, oh my goodness, I just want somebody else to employ me and pay my wages. Please, please, I don't want this responsibility anymore. So there are days of that. But, thinking but that of, doesn't last long by the sounds of it. It doesn't, it doesn't. And also thinking about the kids, you know what? I am fostering a family-friendly culture because I can do that. You know what? If it's school holidays and you don't have any care for your kids, work from home or bring them into the office. If you need to swap your days around, do it. It's about, you know what, we get the work done and we do it in a way that we can, for want of a better word, balance family and work together. So how does that work in practical terms? So what it means is, for example, I get to drop the kids off at school. So my work day starts at about 20 past nine, depending on, you know, if we've had assembly in the morning or something like that. And then two days a week, I will actually leave work at 2.30 to pick up the kids from school at three o'clock. And everybody has the opportunity to do that as well. So we need to know in advance. So we have set days, but I certainly know, for example, that our business development manager, that on Monday, Wednesday and Friday, that she needs to leave work at 2.30 But 
that's fine because she does an outstanding job and everything gets done. I think in my experience, when you know you've got that limited time, you really work hard in there. And I sometimes feel that our team, even though we've got such flexi hours, we get so much stuff done. And it's not about the FaceTime for you, by the sounds of it. It's not about seeing someone in their chair. It's just knowing that they'll they'll get the work done That's right. on and their terms. And it's also about we've set up lots of different ways to communicate. So we have, we're in constant communication. We have, uh, for example, different apps and different software that we use so that we are constantly in contact. It just may not be face to face. But we also do set that every Wednesday, for example, we have uh, a set everybody's in the office and that's when we do our face-to-face meetings. So we do have that contact because we don't want anybody to feel like they're isolated and we have different ways of communicating. Sounds like a wonderful workplace. Where do we sign up? (laughs) We try. You are working just as much, if not more, than you were before. It's just that, as we mentioned, you're now running the race. But how are things looking with your work-life balance now between you and your husband? So it's really interesting because... Even though there is probably more work, at least more hours of work, there's a lot more open dialogue about it. And I think that's a good thing. So, for example, we had a few projects that were happening and that meant that I had to do really long hours. I said to my husband, over the next two weeks, this is what we've got going on. I'm going to need you to really help me with the kids can you do this pickup, this pickup, all the rest of it, but it's only two weeks and then everything's back to normal. It's like, yep, sweet, no problem. It's that forward planning and that forward thinking and that open communication. Whereas I think before, one of the things that I would have done, would have, I would have tried to do it all myself because I had that expectation. I can do it all. Surely I can run a business and also be a mum and do it all and because I should be able to. But now I'm not afraid of, you know what, I can't do this on my own. I need some help. This is what I need. And I think that was one of the keys for us is me being able to go, I need you to do this, not just can you help. Do you share the load in terms of the domestic work and and raising the kids? Yes. Yes, we do. My husband grew up in a family where his mum was uh, unwell. And so his dad actually did all the cooking. He did a lot of the cleaning as well. And so in his house, it was normal for, um, you know, both parents to be doing everything. It perhaps wasn't, you know, for our generation, seeing our parents where it was the mum who stayed home and the, the dad who did all the working. It was really quite equally shared. So coming into our relationship, that was normal for him. Even now still, he does 90% of the cooking. I do the baking, all the sweet stuff, all the treats for the lunch boxes, but you know, and we do share the domestic stuff. But I think one of the things that we do do is that we're aware of each other's workloads. So I know that if he's, you know, interstate for two or three days and then it's got crazy 10 hour days, I'll do more around the house because I've got the time and vice versa. But you've got to ask. Asking for help is the key, do you think? It is. If you can look back on Sarah before you had children and to who you are now, it must feel like a completely different time zone. What advice would you give to yourself back then? Don't expect to be in the place that you're planning because life will throw curveballs at you and be prepared to roll with it. And always see the silver lining in everything because even when things can seem the worst 
And often I hear people say that and I think, oh, what have you been through to be able to say that? But both Paul and I have been through some pretty crazy life traumas, some 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 things that most people don't have to experience in their lifetimes. So I think that, you know, we're both sitting in a position where we go, actually, we can say that things have been, you know, pretty crap, not just our relationship, but also external things that have happened. And I do think that even though things can seem terrible, that sometimes you can you can find that thing that go, you know what, I'm going to get out of this and there is something good going to come from it. And you will. Does your line of work, being a paediatric nurse and seeing the, the horrors you must see and the suffering you must see, what does that do for your attitude to life and parenthood? I think what it does is that you try not to take it for granted that, oh, don't get me wrong, I still want to sometimes hit my husband over the head with a frying pan or, you know, oh gosh, you know, I remember when my oldest was about six months old and she was screaming her head off and I went, I've got to walk away from you. I left her in a room safely, shut the door, walked out because, you know, I was going to absolutely lose it. So don't get me wrong, we still do that. But I think what it does is it brings you back to earth very quickly and that you realise how lucky you are for what you've got. Um, it's just one of those things that you you, you don't take things for granted, that you realise the fragility of life and that you try and, and perhaps, for want of a better word, make the most of even a bad situation. Yeah, because I think, yeah, I think that's one of the things that we do. And I know if I asked you this question, you'd answer it very differently on any day. And certainly over the years, you'd, you'd have a different response. Right now, how would you describe motherhood? Today, I would say motherhood is an absolute joy today because I had two bright, happy children who got out of bed after a bit of coercion and got dressed and ate breakfast and then got dropped off at, at holiday care. So today is a brilliant day. If you had have asked me last night when I had a child in my bed at two o'clock this morning, I would have said that it was certainly quite difficult. So when it comes to motherhood, how would I describe it? It's a roller coaster, an absolute roller coaster that you've just got to end up throwing your arms up and just going with it. Sarah, thank you for your honesty. It's been wonderful chatting. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was senior paediatric nurse and founder of CPR Kids and mother of two, Sarah Hunstead. Our resident careers counsellor and psychologist, Kirsty Levin from the Parents' Village, is in the studio to talk about the perks and perils of shift work while juggling parenthood. Kirsty, thank you for joining us. So we heard Sarah talk there about negotiating maternity leave. It's not an easy conversation to have. Luckily for her, it was pretty straightforward, but not every shift work job would be the same, would it? So how can mums-to-be approach this, which can often be a difficult conversation with their employer? Yeah, very much so. I think it's really important to have those conversations as early on as possible and to know your rights and responsibilities up front before you have that conversation with your employer. So to understand through the um, fairwork.gov.au page or the Supporting Working Parents page on, on the internet, for example, you can get all the information you need about your rights and responsibilities as an employee and the rights and responsibilities of your 
your employer. That's your starting point. Then you need to understand the policies that are available and uh, um, the resources available to you within your organisation that you work in. So research, I guess, is, is your starting point before you have that conversation. The idea of shift work can actually be great in theory for parenthood. I know I do it. I work at night and so get to be with the kids in the day. But it can be trickier than it sounds, especially when you're juggling that with childcare. How do people get around that? I think there's very limited childcare options, unfortunately, that cater to people in shift work scenarios. And in that situation, it becomes even more important to rely on your um, support network, whether it's friends or family or babysitters or nannies and so forth, and your partner, of course. Um, And so planning ahead and trying to figure out how you can leverage as many of those resources as possible, at least for a backup option in case your childcare fails or someone might be sick. It's always important to have a sort of plan B waiting in the wings that will be able to pick things up when you need to run off in the last minute. Sarah talked about how her and her husband, when she was pregnant, sat down with their rosters pretty much and said, oh, this is going to work beautifully. You'll work here and I'll work here. But in reality, they were like ships in the night. What advice do you have for couples in a similar situation? So I really think it's important to schedule in some time to check in with each other. Hopefully there are some moments where your roster doesn't um, overlap where you're not separated from each other the whole time and you can sort of schedule in an hour's conversation or a brief catch-up at home. At five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yes. Ideal. If that's the only time, then, you know, that might be the only time over a quick cup of coffee before you race out the door. But I also think that the little things really count when you're in a shift work relationship. And by little things, I mean um, paying attention to your love languages with your partner in little ways, whether it means sending a text to your partner at least once or twice throughout the day just to say, I'm checking in, seeing how you're going, leaving notes in the house before you leave, perhaps a post-it note somewhere just to say, I love you, I miss you, we'll see each other when we see each other, hopefully. But little little efforts that you make to check in and make sure that your partner is doing okay in this whole you know, cycle together is just as important as having those more formal conversations to figure out your plan and your schedule and the logistics of day-to-day life. Sometimes it does come to that, though, that you have to have the conversation, and Sarah talked about that, to save the marriage. They really had to sit down and talk about their expectations of each other and the marriage and the family. When's it time to do that? Look, I really think it's time to do that before you actually go back to work. Um, So during that period of parental leave, I think it's really important to sit down and almost plan out a couple of options Um, Because you don't always know how things are going to play out for you. You don't know whether your rosters and your shifts are really going to work in those early days. They may work out perfectly and it might be smooth sailing, or you might become really frustrated because you don't see each other half the time. And I think it's important to sort of anticipate a couple of those different scenarios and try to figure out how you're going to approach each one hypothetically almost, um, so that you can come up with a few contingency plans. And at least you can understand mutually that, right, if it gets to a point where we are passing ships in the night and we're hardly ever seeing each other, we both agree that one of us is going to have to make adjustments. And then you can start negotiating from there. In Sarah's case, that adjustment came in the form of a brilliant idea. She started CPR Kids, which we have heard all about. So she describes how that's a really family-friendly workplace, which is her doing, very important to her as a mum. But not every workplace, of course, is so flexible. So what advice do you have for parents in terms of negotiating that family-friendly, holy grail 
workplace? I really believe that the only way to flexibility in the workplace is by getting your management on board. And if you believe that your manager is on board with the process, then things usually flow much more smoothly. And in order to get your manager on board, you typically have to present a pretty solid business case to display to your manager that the way in which you're choosing to work moving forward is going to work for them, that it's going to have benefits for um, the team, the company and productivity, for example. So I think that takes a little bit of prior thinking and planning and perhaps discussion with colleagues to figure out how you might need to redesign your job slightly to allow for some flexibility to be built in, whether it's arriving late in the morning so you can do drop-offs or leaving early in the afternoon so you can do pickups and so forth or doing a few hours at home after hours. So I think if you have an honest and open conversation about the pros and cons of the flexible work scenario that you're painting for your manager, then they can understand how they can work with you better. And it might be the case that you have to get certain colleagues on side, that you have to manage expectations with key stakeholders around you so that they know, you know, what's going to happen for the next, you know, six to 12 months. And you may even suggest a trial period where you test out this new way of working for a short period of time, see if it's working, discuss it and debrief it with your manager after a couple of months, for example, and then go from there. And maybe you need to rejig things slightly to make sure that it's it's operating, you know, smoothly for everyone around you. Amongst mothers, there's kind of this code of wink, wink, working from home. It's like the holy grail. If you can get that scenario, you sit. How realistic is it that you can work productively from home? I think more and more businesses are becoming open-minded to the idea of working from home. What's important to consider to start with, though, is your home environment and how conducive that is to actually working effectively and productively from home. I think there are lots of policies being developed now that allow people to be more flexible about working in the evenings, for example, and, and logging on to certain systems at nighttime or on the weekends as well to get extra work done. And I think there are opportunities to negotiate that, absolutely. Kirsty, that has been fascinating. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, my pleasure. That was Kirsty Levin, careers counsellor and psychologist from the Parents' Village. If you're a working mum and you have a question about your work-life balance and how to keep on top of everything you're doing, send us an email, podcast at babyology.com.au. Subscribe to The Mother Shift wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like it, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating and review. That's it for today's episode. I'm Jacinta Tynan. Join us next time for more of The Mother Shift, a babyology podcast.